Now listen, I know, I know we're here as a group. I know we're here as a collective, but what I also know is that God has a specific word for you as an individual today. He's got something for you. It will be part of my message. It may be part of the Bible readings I read. It will be something. So I wonder if you could just open your heart right now. Uh, Listen, I'm not just saying this. As I have prepared for this message, I just want to say to you that the Lord said to me specifically, I have some specifics to drop into some people's spirits today. You know... When I, when I look at these boxes, when, when Kathy and I were, or Kathy packed ours and she showed me the contents, I, I just became really emotional because, you know, this is not like a stocking filler. And, and I appreciate you remaining standing for a moment because we're just going to just kind of receive from God. This is it for some of these children. This is all that they will get. That's it. And I really want to thank you. I appreciate you having the heart to reach out for that. This isn't like extra. This isn't like, you know, like we do treats and things. This is not a treat. This is it. And often what happens is that Samaritan's Perk take this into a village and they say, here's some gifts, but let me tell you about the greatest gift. And lots and hundreds of children come to Jesus. Because you've decided, well, I can give out of my overflow. Thank you. God's got something specific for you today. Like, almost like one of these parcels, he's going to hand you something specific. Now, I so appreciate how you've come today. You know, you are so loved. Please take your seats just for a moment and just take a load off. You have a rest. But stay engaged with me. You know, I want to talk to you about our house and about us as a church. I I just so appreciate all the effort that you make to come. Some of you have changed four nappies before you got out the door. And then when you went out the door, it was filled again, you know. And that was just your husband, you know. But, you know, I I just kind of understand the difficulties of getting to church. But listen, 11.15, it's great when we're all together. I want, to get a, I want to move away from this rolling star where we're kind of half full at the start and then it kind of fills up. I want to move away from that. I want us to operate as a community and I'm going to work hard over the next few months. I'm not going to change anything just yet. But I'm going to work hard so that we start together, whether, whether I offer you breakfast or fellowship beforehand. But what I want us to do as church, I want us to be together. I want us to be together because as your shepherd, I know that that means so much. So that we get away from rolling starts in all of our services. I just so appreciate you today. Kathy and I, we just love this church, don't we? I was in Northern Ireland last week, and they are lovely people. But can I just say, I know this is on the internet, and there you'll listen to it. You're not as nice as this crowd here. I just want you to know that. But you know, I'm doing a funeral tomorrow of Elsie Brinstone. She's 99 years old. And here's the significance of that. And this is why I want to talk to you about who you are and where we are right now. Elsie is the last charter member who became a Christian in the revival that started this church. She became a Christian in the George Jeffries revival that went from Sparkbrook and then into the town hall and then into the ICC. And there were 10,000 people who who attended that. Over 1,000 people were baptized and our church was birthed out of that. Isn't that amazing? And Elsie is the golden thread, and she has passed away. And as I was thinking about that and reflecting on that, I was saying, Lord, is there a revival generation still in this house, or is that now consigned to history? Does it now reside in us to bring the presence of God? And I believe it does. I believe that you're a people who are seeking after God. And if you're checking us out today and and guesting with us, then we just want to welcome you. In fact, why don't we just welcome all our guests one more time.
But I don't want that golden thread from that revival to us now to be broken. I pray that that sense of God's presence and God moving in this city resides still in this house. He's with me. Amen. And listen, church, I'm going to ask you for a few amens today. And I want you to uh, come along with me. Is that all right, church? Yeah? You know, so I, I, want to, I wonder if, if you'll turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, I want to read you just the first two verses, because today I want to talk to you about what kind of story is playing out in your life. What story are you living out? Is your story really narrow? I've just got to get through the next few months. Or I just, if, if I had that job, then that's my story. Or if this happened, that's defining my story. Let's, let me read you a couple of sentences from the Gospel of Mark. Right in the first chapter, first two verses in the first chapter. In the beginning, the beginning of the good news of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And, and it's like that. what Mark is saying is, look, I'm going to start telling you a good news story, but this is just the beginning of it. It's going to go on after what I have said. But then he quickly goes back. In verse 2 he says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, you see, I've started here, I'm telling you that it's going on, but let me go back into history and say that this was prophesied by somebody before this juncture in the story, this part of the story. I will send my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way. I just wonder today whether you have understood that we are in a big, huge story. I don't know about you, but have you ever walked in on a conversation and you've only got half the story? You know, and you kind of, have you ever got the wrong end of the stick? Uh, or have you ever had, had a wrong perspective? Of course, you're all very careful about that. But I don't know whether you have seen these police programs where they have to get all the evidence and the whole story. But sometimes, I don't know whether you've walked into half a conversation and think, really? But you haven't heard all that's going on. I wonder if that's how we're living our lives. Where we're so focused on a narrow a narrow uh, guardrails or, or narrow parameters of, of our story that we're saying, well, unless this happens in my life, then my life isn't coming to a good place. That we're, we've narrowed what our perspective is about how we can progress and how we can go on. I wonder if you're only seeing part of the great story and the great history that God has got you in today. You know, I've got a confession to make. And, you know, you're my spiritual family, so this is the place to make it. In a moment of weakness, maybe some people even say madness, I went to see the latest Terminator film, Terminator Dark Fate. Yes, it was me there with my minstrels and my popcorn. And there are several observations I'd like to make from that film. There is a strong view of history that history will all go wrong. Whether this be by machines or our cultural story at the moment, whether it will be climate change. But the story that we're in trouble and it could really go wrong is a strong cultural story right now. In the 1980s, there was a phone company, it's called Orange, and it says, the future's bright, the future's orange. No phone company would put that out now. Because the cultural story that we're all in is that, man, things are not good, and it could, might not go well for us. The second thing that I learned from Terminator is, culturally, we think that humans can be altered. That actually, that we are like a Lego-type construction rather than a holistic or whole creation. We believe we're a construction rather than a creation. We can take bits away and we can add bits. And it's a strong theme today that we don't feel like we're a creation that we're actually to be played around with. That if... If we decide to become something other than what we are, we can do it. 
And actually, I want to challenge that story today that actually the real story is, is that we're a creation. You see, the other thing that we can learn from Terminator is that our cultural and other cultural forces around our our nation today is that we believe that everything, and I mean everything, depends on us. That we're the makers and masters of of our own fate. That unless we save the world, it won't be saved. Unless we change something, it won't be done. Now, let me quickly say, of course we believe that we need to take responsibility and and that our decisions will affect our direction. And so, of course, we need to have responsibility in our lives. But it's actually become that we think that everything is down to us. Is that the real story? You see, it's actually become that What we've created, we haven't just got iPhones and iPads and iMacs. We've actually created an iWorld. A world where everything revolves around the individual. Whereas we've made our reason and our choices so sacred that it's our right to make up our destiny so much that, that we, we think that we're not connected to anything else, that we're autonomous. Now, some of you won't know this boy band, but there was a boy band in the 1980s, 90s, and it was called Boyzone. Uh, does anybody remember them? And uh, Boyzone, even at that time, they had a song, and they, they used to go like this, No matter what they tell you. Do you remember that? You know, some of you are just really enjoying that, no matter what they say. And then he would say, no matter what they teach, what you believe is true. And there is the cultural seeds that started us thinking that we are so individual, that we are so sacred, that we have to make up our own story so much that we've created the story where we're the author and the hero of everything around us. We think our rights and our uh, uh, far outweigh our responsibilities. That actually, I know uh, there's a verse in the Bible that tells me that Jesus is the author and finisher of my faith. But actually, we've made ourselves the author and the hero of our stories. We are so free to think what we want to do and to, to live the way that we like. We've created a story so focused on us as individuals that our right to be myself is sacred in our culture. We're so under pressure to create who we are, to create the world for ourselves, that the whole world is resting on our shoulders because it's our world. And we have said to everyone around us, don't tell me who to be. I have the right to make my own destiny. Now that's partly true. But is that half the story? Is that that you have come in on half a conversation? That you've grabbed half a truth? That you have jumped in onto a part story and made it the whole story. And that whole story is governing the way that you live your life. And it's not the whole story. You see, conversely or oppositely, there are terrible dangers in blind conformity to a group. And not questioning what a group might do. But in making our world so focused on the individual, we have missed an important part of what it means to be in humanity. What it means to be a human. We have missed a vital piece of the story that says, there is something beyond me. That underneath my life, there can be the everlasting arms. That instead of me having to win it, make it, do it, that actually 
there can be a partnership that I can be in. And actually, even though we want to all be responsible individuals, and even though today I've said to you, there's a specific word, and I believe that. There's a specific word for you today. What kind of a world are you constructing where you're the author and the hero and you don't need anybody else? Common sense tells me that I need other people. Could you imagine if I was an ambulance driver? I need ambulance drivers. I can't drive. Could you imagine me giving you an injection? I can't see the little gradients. You know, you wouldn't have five milligrams. You'd have about 50 milligrams if I was giving you the injection. Thank the Lord that there are other people who are not like me. Common sense tells you that you can't live in an I world. That you need other people with skills that you don't have. And we've created this world that says, I am the master of my world and don't tell me how to run it. And yet, we need other people around us. It's like we've come into half of a story. And actually, culturally, some of us won't like me talking this way because you'll say, well, are you going to tell me how I'm supposed to be? And it's like we've, we've picked... Th- a part of a story about personal responsibility and made it an idol of individualism. As if that will see you through completely. We've come in through half a conversation and we've made it the whole story. Today I want to share with you what the big story of life is. How we can approach the way that we can live. A story according to the Bible just has four chapters. Four interesting and wonderful chapters. Chapter one. We are created beings. I am created. Title of chapter one. Genesis 1 verse 27 says, So God created humans in his own image. The image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We are created beings and in the image of a loving creator. And our freedom is found as we live in that design. Now, when we talk about being designed, let me say to you that... You've not reached any part of the limits of your design. It's like me with a computer or most people with a computer. My computer is a glorified typewriter. It's a keyboard where I type things. I don't know all the ins and outs of what that computer does. It's the same with you. You have a marvelous design of who you are. And you've got a tremendous uh, potential and movement in your design You are nowhere near pushing the limits of the marvelous created design that you are in God. Psalm 139 verse 13 says this, For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. And I know that full well. We are designed. But that design isn't restrictive. You see, when we talk in our culture about you have a design, people say, don't tell me I'm designed. I want to be what I want to be. But actually, your design is so wonderful. You haven't hardly explored the limits of your imagination, your skill, and what God has for you. You've got a wonderful design. In fact, the Bible says that we are designed, we are designed to love. There is no other creature on the earth that loves the way that we love. Now, I know that if you're a cat lover, you think your cat loves you. I know that if you're a dog lover, you think that your dog loves you. I I just want to say, he loves you in a certain way. But he cannot love you, or she cannot love you, the way that you can love other people. Our design is rich in our ability to love. Please, cat lovers, don't leave the church over that statement, please. 
Your cat kind of loves you, the fact that you feed it. You know, but, you know, but we can love. We can't believe how we can love. We can love the unlovable. We can reach out in compassion to people we've never seen. In fact, the Bible says you can love the Lord your God with all your heart and you can love each other as yourselves. You can get to that expanse of complicated, deep love. No other creature does that. You're designed to be reasonable. In fact, the Bible says, come now, let's reason together. You're designed to work things out. I'm not talking about intelligence. I'm talking about the design of you being able to have thoughts, hear thoughts, put concepts together to build something for your life. You're designed in in an incredible way. Your design is so that you can be in relationship. The Bible asks us a question. Can, Can two walk together unless they're in agreement? You are designed so that you can find an agreement with someone. So that you can learn to build a relationship with somebody who's really different than you. You're designed to work out things. You're designed to be in a body. Uh, uh, That we all have different functions. You see, your ability to have relationships is amazing. You'll have some close relationships and intimate relationships. You'll have some working relationships. You'll have some more distant relationships. You'll have different types of relationships, but you were designed that way. There'll be times when you'll be the leader in that relationship. There'll be times when you'll serve in those things. It's an amazing design that we have as humans. We are designed to be able to connect spiritually. Now, I'm not just talking about at a, a, you know, a pop concert or Glastonbury where everybody puts their phone in the air, turns their torches on, and has a, has a moment. And that's a, that's a sociological moment, and that's okay. But actually, you're designed... To touch higher things, to feel higher things. In fact, the Bible says that your body is designed to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I wonder if you've latched onto the story that you're just full of veins and cells and pipes and bones. And you don't know the whole story that actually there's a spiritual side to you. And in moments when you see great beauty. And in moments when you feel convicted about things. And in moments when you look at the world and say, I wish it was different. That's your spiritual side trying to connect. And then there's a moment. There's a moment earlier in the service where God comes. You're designed to connect. You see, I want to say to you, you are a marvelous creation. And you know what? You'll sit there in silence because you agree with me. But can I, can I almost speak over your life as medicine? Come on, church. You're a created, marvelous, wonderful, tremendous being designed to be in relationship with the God of all the earth. You're designed. It's getting through, maybe. You see, what I'm trying to say to you is this. You, do, you want to be... You, you, the world has told you and culture has told you, oh, don't, don't think about that, you know, just kind of make it through. You're kind of going to destroy the earth and you're not worth much. But I've come by to t- say to you today, you are a marvelous creation in God. You're a wonderful thing. You're a beautiful person. And I'm saying that not just to... Kind of romantically, I'm saying that from the that's the story that the Bible has. You see, true freedom is not exerting your radical independence, but living according to your created design in relationship with a loving creator. A fish may get fed up of the water and want to jump out of the water and in a bid for freedom, but that fish is not free. When it goes outside of its natural environment, you were designed to live in the environment of your creation in God. And when you jump outside of that, then that's when things begin to get strange. And that's when things begin to go wrong. Humans are designed 
to be in relationship with God. In fact, the Bible says, for we are God's handiwork, we're God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do God's works, which be prepared in advance for us to do. You are a marvelously created person. Come on, give yourself a pat on the back. It wasn't from you, it was from God. You're a marvelous creation. Come on, tell your spirit. You say, what? You know what? I'm all right. For some of you, you've been telling yourself for years that you're not right. And I've come by today to get the big story into your life. You're created, designed, loved and cherished by God. And I believe that's the specific word that some people need to hear today. Because we're created. God's like an art restorer. You know, that kind of seek to get you back to the original. And I'll talk about why we need restoration in chapter 2 of our story. But he's like this master artist who can see how you're supposed to be. And he's restoring you. You know, you don't see an art restorer who says... You know, oh, I think I'll just put a a different piece in that picture. No, he looks at the original and he says, let's get it back to the original. And that's what God's trying to do. He's trying to work on you. So all the junk and all the things that have spoiled your design, that he's gently, carefully, diligently, lovingly restoring that. Because there's the next chapter in our story. I don't know about you, but... On Sunday afternoons, sometimes, there's a program on TV called the Antiques Roadshow. Has anybody seen that program? And have you ever noticed that when somebody goes to the Antiques Roadshow and they take something and uh, they, they think that it's worth £20 or £30 and the person says, Oh, no, this vase you got is ancient Chinese Ming and it's worth 20,000 pounds. Have you ever noticed how the person goes, ooh, and they're trying to hold in. You know, they're, they're trying to, you know, they're trying to hold in. They, they thought it was worth 20, but it's actually worth 20,000 and they're holding it in because they don't want to lose it on television. You know, the stately home in the background and all these nice people around they go, Oh, really? Is that what it is? And yet on the inside they're going, Yes! Come on! I'll cash it in now! I want it! Where's the, where's the auction here? Let's do it now! Give me the money! For years, culture, enemy, Satan, your emotions, your self-esteem have been saying to you, you're 20 pounds. I've come by today to say, you're priceless. You're absolutely priceless in God. Come on, let's give the Lord praise. You're absolutely priceless in God. I don't know what culture has told you or your family or your background. Chapter 1. I am a created person. Chapter 2. I am flawed. Romans 1 verse 21 says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. But in their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. But actually there was a chapter in our story where we've walked away from the created relationship with God. I believe Genesis chapter 3 actually happened and that there was a first family and that, and that there was a temptation in the garden. And it's quite funny, you know, we, <laughs> the Lord said, just, you, you can have every tree apart from that one and just one limitation from his great knowledge of how to protect and how to care it's funny to me how sometimes we put one little barrier in our church, but somebody's always willing to jump over it. And we're, not the, we're no different. You know, but what Adam and Eve were saying by taking that fruit is they were saying, you don't have the authority, God, to determine what's right and wrong for me. We want our freedom. You, you can't tell me 
what's good and evil. I need to tell myself what's good and evil. And actually, they didn't have the experience, the knowledge and wisdom to make that call. I don't know about you, whether you've ever met some people and you know that they're making a decision, but you know that they don't have all the knowledge to make that decision. And that's often the case with humans, that they have a partial knowledge and then they make big decisions about their lives based on knowledge that isn't complete. And that's what happened to the first family. And so they left God. And it caused three effects upon us all. First of all, we got disordered bodies where sickness and aging comes in. Oh man. Sometimes we get so sick and we, you know, we just, we just, we just battle with it. I tell you what, I've not been enjoying being 60. I'm, I'm just reclaiming my 60th year. I haven't enjoyed it so far because I haven't been able to run as much and all that stuff. You know, and God's kind of saying to me, Mark, you're aging. And I'm saying, no, I'm not. And he's saying, yes, you are. And I'm saying, okay. But our bodies are changing. Because we've got disordered bodies, we... We've walked away from the creator and the designer. And you know, the second effect of it was that we had disordered minds. That we get stressed and we get depressed and we get anxious. And we get thoughts that aren't healthy for us. And actually we have this insatiable quest for identity. We're always asking, who am I? Who likes me? And our minds play tricks on us. It's because we've come away from the designer. And then, of course, we have disordered hearts. In fact, the Bible says that our hearts can be darkened, that our desires become not just that we, that we, that we sin, that we actually want to sin. We, we actually look at sin and find it attractive. And, and actually, the Bible says there's nobody righteous, none, not one of us. And it's because... We've been tricked into thinking that it's attractive not to follow what God does. Sometimes, you know, the Bible says don't, don't fret or be envious of evil men. And we look at films and, and some anti-heroes who are violent and we, we think, man, I could be like them. I'm so tough, you know. And actually what we're doing is we're envying that which is not good. Because our hearts have been changed. We're flawed. And that's part of our story. That we all have to cope with being flawed. I'm married to a knitter. Kathy's fingers are like lightning sometimes. And those needles clickety-clack, clickety I have to turn the TV up sometimes because she's just like, you know what I mean? She's like a, she's like a human loom. You know, just, arms are going clickety-clack. And then sometimes there's a gasp where, where she goes, Ugh. And she's gone ten rows and she's, not notice that there's a stitch that's fallen out and you can't just put it in. You've got to unravel it and go back to that piece. I know you're all saying, oh, but you just have to unravel it. And the trouble with some of us is we don't want God to unravel us. We don't want to go back and put that right and get that restored. We'd rather just clackety way, clackety way, clackety way and carry on and trying to build our lives. And yet, there's a flaw there that needs healing. There's a stitch that's been dropped. But you see, some pastors major on that story, on that chapter. But can I take you to chapter 3? Because chapter 1 is you're a beautiful, created person. Chapter 2 is you're flawed. You're made, but you're marred. But chapter three is, I need rescue. And there is a rescuer. Amen? Maybe you'll turn in your Bible with me. Perhaps those of you who've got a Bible to Philippians chapter two. I just want to read you this. It describes our Savior, who is our rescuer. Because chapter three is, I need rescue. Philippians chapter 2 says this, verse 6, Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant, 
being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death of a cross. The most cruel, the most violent, the most horrible, anguished death, even that death for you and me. Therefore, because he did that, God has exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name. That is the name of Jesus, that at the name, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue shall acknowledge and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We have a rescuer. Chapter 3. I am rescued. Jesus, in perfect submission and obedience to God, lived a life and dies a death that satisfies all of God's demands. That he comes and not only dies for us, but then rises from the dead so that when we attach ourselves to him, when we ask ourselves, uh, ask him into our lives, we then receive this new life in Jesus and we are raised up spiritually with him. And our identity and our relationship with God is not founded on how good at religion I am, but it's founded on what he has done for me. You know, the Bible says that it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, lest that anybody should boast. That actually our ability to connect with God is based on what he has done, not how good of a Christian I am. We've been rescued. Let me just sink that in. We've been rescued. I once fell over a wall sliding down a railway cutting. And my friend Julian reached out, grabbed my hand and rescued me from falling a long way. You see, we've been saved and rescued from the penalty of sin. Remember that art restorer? The Holy Spirit is working in our lives to rescue us from the power and attraction of sin. And so one of the most things that we need to do is yield to the Holy Spirit. Give Him more room in our lives because He's pushing back the effects and power of sin in our lives. The Bible says, for the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what's contrary to our self-orientated nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do whatever you want. But if you yield to him gradually, consistently, and openly, he pushes back those desires that spoil you. Our theme scripture here is now the Spirit of the Lord. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we with all unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Simply, we are being transformed as we yield to the Holy Spirit. You're created. And I know that you've been battling with some of your flaws. But you have a rescuer. That's the story. And as you yield to him, he's going to push back some of those things that have been done to you. Some of those struggles that you're having. You see, your first movement is a movement towards the spirit to say, have more of me, Lord. There's a fourth chapter. One day, I will be fully restored and a new creation is coming. Chapter one, I'm created person. Chapter two, I'm a flawed person. Chapter three, I'm a rescued person. 
chapter 4, I will be a restored person and I will be in a new creation with God. You see, you've got to get into the big story. Now, you see, culturally, we don't like speaking like this. Because we feel like we're copping out. We feel like, hey, we're not, we're not caring for the world that we're in now. But no, the fact that I'm created and I'm rescued and, and God's dealing with my flaws. And the fact that I look towards a restoration helps me to live responsibly now. It, help, it gives me strength now. You see... There will be a perfectly restored world. And let me tell you something. Elsie Brinstone was 99 on this earth, but now she is perfect in the next life. We will be a perfectly restored world. We'll have perfectly restored bodies, perfectly restored minds. Our hearts will beat purely and strongly. We'll be restored into the image of God. That's the story. Revelation 21 verse 4 says this. He's going to wipe away every tear. Every single child that doesn't have justice and hope he's going to sort that out one day. He's going to wipe away every single tear that's cried by this child. And he's going to fully restore this whole world. You see, that's why I can pray with confidence. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because I know that that kingdom is a great kingdom. It's a marvelous kingdom where justice and peace and righteousness reign. Where people have what they're supposed to have because they're restored again to the loving creation that God has always intended. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Chapter 4. I will be restored to everything that God has for me. You see, we all look for peace and rest. And this is coming through God's plan of history. Because we will have, and he will have the final say. History really is his story. It's important for us that we don't see this as a cop-out. That actually we see this as to change our perspective, to have a bigger picture. To not get so narrow in survival. To know that God's got the keys and one day he's going to unlock the doors and let everything to be new. I don't know about you, I love living in the city, don't you? I, I kind of get a buzz out of it, you know. I even like going on the bus and, you know, wow, it's all good. You know, you got 15 cinema screens near my house. Wow, that's great, you know. You know, convenience, all this stuff. I love being in the, in, in the city, don't you? And sometimes traffic. No, I don't really love that. But don't you like it sometimes when you go out to the city and you have a quiet walk in the countryside and your perspective changes? Some of you are there right now, aren't you? You change. You see, you need to see the big story because you're seeing your responsibilities, your job, your hang-ups, the busyness, everything you've got to do, your ambitions, your life... But why don't you see the fact that one day we're going to be restored and change your perspective? You know, I've got an iPhone and I've got that portrait mode where you can zoom in on people and, and then, I don't do it secretly by the way, you know, you know, I've got a photo mode. But on the iPhone there's this thing called panoramic mode or pano mode where you can just go around and, you know, you take a whole long picture. Some of you need to get panoramic mode in your thinking and your mind. Four chapters. Chapter one, we're created. Chapter two, we fell. Chapter three, there was a rescuer. Chapter four, there's going to be a great restoration. I'm going to ask the worship team just to come. Chapter one, creation. You're designed. 
You're a designed person, created person. You're made with love and you can love. You are a person of love. Chapter 2, we fell. And we have a flaw. And none of us is in need less than anyone else. God cares about all of our struggles. He's cared about your struggles all of your life. He's cared about the evil things said to you. He's cared about those things that have buried themselves in your soul. And like an art restorer, he, he wants to begin to bring those out and, and throw them into his sea of forgiveness so that you can be restored. He cares about you. And Jesus, chapter 3, he's your rescuer. Hey, please stand with me if you will. Hey, I want to say to you something. There are some people in this room now, remember that you might say, I haven't had my specific word yet, so keep listening, because this may be it. There are some people in this room that you are a Christian, you've, you've given your life to God, you've accepted Jesus into your life, you've confessed your sins, and you've said, I don't want that anymore. But listen, let me tell you that Jesus came to save you completely. Now, I'm not saying that just to encourage you. I'm saying that on the authority of God's word. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says, Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede. You see, Jesus didn't just die on the cross one time and then say, okay, I've done it, leave you to it, accept it or not. He is saying right now, I am praying for you. I am working on you. I am trying to restore you. I am pushing back sin. I am making it so that you can walk completely free. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. He wants to rescue you and go on rescuing you until you are restored and transformed. Chapter 4. This story is not going to end in destruction but in completion and restoration for those who are his note that last part of the line this story we are to be responsible with our world we are to be good stewards of our world but let me tell you about our world this story is not ending in destruction But it's ending in complete restoration and recreation for those who are his. That's the big story. So have you been living your story? Have you been living your story in these minute little lines of, Oh God, if you don't get me that job, then there's nothing going on. Have you been living in that story of why did this happen in my past and you've narrowed your story down to a brief struggle how are you living your story are you living your story of I wish I was more like my brother who was successful oh God why didn't you give me that How are you living your story? God, if only there was something different in my life, then my story would be different. I think people need to hear the whole story. There are people in this place here right now, you need to the whole story that you are a beautifully created person, but there's a flaw in you and you need to sort that out with Jesus because he wants to rescue that. And God is wanting to restore you so that you can live eternally in his kingdom. You need to hear the whole story. There's some Christians, they only tell part of the story. They tell people, oh, you're a sinner and God wants to save you. And they never tell people about how wonderfully they're created. They never tell people about the great purposes and plans God has for us in his kingdom. You think this is it? 
this is just the, the testing part. It's time you allow Jesus not only to rescue you, but to build your transformation and leave behind some of your struggles. Holy Spirit, would you just minister to this, your church now? Would you enable them to make more room in their lives for you? Would you begin to restore those things that have been spoiled in their lives? Would you hold your hands out with me right now and just ask the Holy Spirit to bring more of himself into you? Holy Spirit, more, Lord, move over this whole auditorium. Restore. No scientist would dispute that you're not an amazing design. Why are you telling yourself that somehow you're not up to something? When God says, I made you. Holy Spirit, fill your healing in this place. Let's worship him together in song, shall we, Pastor Kevin? Let's all just worship him for a few moments. What's your story? What have you been telling yourself? Fix my eyes upon the cross. Fix your eyes there.